Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Good morning again, everybody. Again, so glad that you're here. And sincerely, if you are new to our church, which there are so many new to our church, I will tell you that we have never experienced a growth season like we've been experiencing in recent months. And so we are just grateful to God. There are many churches right now that are trying to get back up to pre-COVID attendance. And I'll just tell you, by the grace of God in our church, we have exceeded uh, pre-COVID attendance to the glory of God. And so we're just so grateful for what he's doing in the life of our church and in your life. And so if you've not gone through Growth Track, we would encourage you to go through that. Find Pastor Dan. He was the one that was just uh, leading us in communion. He's the one who leads our Growth Track. Get signed up for it. Uh, attend it. Go through it. Find out more about our church and also discover uh, your giftings and what God has created you uh, for and get involved. And so I'd encourage you uh, to do that. If you've not found a serve team to be part of, we want you to jump in and be a part of that. We know that God wants to use you in powerful and mighty ways. Over the past few weeks, we've been in a series about Lent leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And as I prayed about what to preach about in these weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, I felt like the Lord uh, directed me this year to focus on the season of Lent and to prepare our hearts for a familiar yet supernatural moment. As we think about Resurrection Sunday, we know the events leading up to that day, the brutal beating of Jesus, the hanging upon the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. And for many of us, because we're so familiar with the story, those details can just roll off the tip of our tongue. But yet those details shouldn't just roll off the tip of our tongues. As followers of Jesus, they should have meaning to us. Each of those should evoke emotion with inside each of us. And so I really do know and hope and pray that as we've gone through this series that God really has been preparing our hearts for Resurrection Sunday, and it's just going to have a greater level of joy and gratitude in each of our hearts as we approach it. Lent is a season of 40 days before Easter where Christians from all sorts of faith traditions fast and pray and refocus their lives on God. It's a season that involves lament. It involves repentance and anticipation. During Lent, we pour out our grief and sin, our pain and regret, holding nothing back. And as we do, God also holds nothing back for our redemption. He pours himself out for our redemption. In the past few weeks, we've talked about lament. Lament, simply put, is, uh, is feeling sorrow and wailing. We talked about lamenting personal sin, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We talked about lamenting church and national and global sin. A couple of weeks ago, we took it to the next level, and we moved from lamenting to repenting. And so instead of just feeling sorrow and wailing about sin, we've repented of sin and turned away from sin. Last Sunday, we moved from lament and repentance to anticipation. If you've missed any of these messages, I would encourage you to listen online at crosspointwaverly.com or find us on YouTube or Facebook or Spotify. You can look at some of the kids running around our church, and you don't even have to know who they belong to to know who they belong to. How many know what I'm talking about? 
Like they are spitting images of their parents. When Jacob was born and was a newborn baby, he was a spitting image of my grown father. Like he looked like an old man. I'm not saying my dad's old. I'm just saying it's just funny to look at an infant who looks like an old uh, or a grown man. And so now as he's gotten older, he looks more like my wife's side of the family. But you can look at some of the kids in our church and know that they are a spitting image of their parents. As individuals, catch this, we are image bearers of Christ. So in the same way that you can look at some of the kids in church and know who they belong to, as followers of Jesus, we are image bearers of Christ. People should be able to look at us and know who we belong to. In Genesis chapter 1, verse number 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God created human beings in his own image. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is, in, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, watch this, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. And we just ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. As followers of Jesus, we reflect the image of our creator. We were made in God's image. In Colossians, we see the things that we're to put off that don't reflect the image of God. To put off the old self with its practices and to put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Last week I showed an illustration of chocolate milk. I had regular milk, put chocolate syrup in it, and said it had all the ingredients to be chocolate milk, but it wasn't chocolate milk until I stuck the spoon in it and I started it. It was so funny how many of you texted me that you stopped at Quick Star on the way home to get some chocolate milk. Uh, but it had all the ingredients, but it wasn't until it was stirred up that it became chocolate milk and the sweetness and the goodness of all of it. And when we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our our life, but when we ask him to stir it up within us, then, then all that remains in is a sweet image of God. We have an individual responsibility to lament sin, to repent of sin, and to anticipate the work of sanctification, the work of Jesus making us more like him in our lives. And the church is a, is a collection of diverse, imperfect people who are at all who are all at different places of their race of faith, amen? The church is filled with diverse, imperfect people who are all at different points of their race of faith. And if each of us would allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, 
to remove the things in us that don't reflect his glory, then we would still be a collection of diverse, imperfect people, but a larger number of people who are all in with Jesus, allowing the Holy Spirit to complete what he has started in us. The church will be a community of people where the kingdom of God is reflected in the world. When we're all on this journey together, it doesn't make us perfect, but it definitely gives a better reflection. We're image bearers of God, and the church is the bride of Christ. Do you know that every wedding that I have ever gone to, the bride has been absolutely beautiful? Every wedding. Simple, extravagant, no matter what, the bride has been beautiful. They've put on their nicest clothes, the most expensive jewelry that they have, and they've taken time fixing their hair and makeup. Do you know that not one wedding have I gone to that the bride tried to ugly themselves up that day? <laughs> not one time. When I get married, get ready for the joke. <laughs> I had hair. See, I just prepared you for it. I knew you would laugh because it's at my expense. And so I remember the day of the wedding asking Erica's grandfather to drive me to go get a haircut. And his response to me, which was classic, he's like, nothing like waiting until the last minute. I'm like, well, thank you. Can you please just take me to get a haircut? And so I got my haircut and then put on my tux, and I was good to go for the wedding. And Erica, uh, more effort went into her, and she looked amazing. And 20 years later, she still looks amazing. So with earthly weddings, tremendous effort goes into making the bride as beautiful as possible for that one day. And listen, I don't want this analogy to get mixed up or for my words to get mixed up or for you to miss the point. God is not nearly as concerned with the appearance of his bride, the church, as he is the heart of the bride. But if the heart of his bride, the church, is right, then the appearance is going to be beautiful. Did you catch that? And so brides spend so much time the day of trying to look as beautiful as possible for that day. And the church is the bride of Christ. What are we doing collectively to experience and live out God's sanctifying work as a corporate church body? We anticipate the second coming of Jesus. And none of us know the day or the hour that that will be. There have been many books that have been written and a number of people have falsely predicted when Jesus' return will happen. The Bible tells us that no man knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. So I would encourage any of you in the room who are listening to people who know the exact date that Jesus is gonna come back or that you're reading books of people who know the exact date that Jesus is gonna come back, that you would silence... Or shut up is what I was going to say, the voices of the false prophets in your life, right? So what we know is true is the Bible. Anybody who's speaking something contrary to the word of God is a false prophet. I would encourage you to silence those people's voices in your life. So what I'll say about the timing of the return of Christ is that we are closer today than ever before in history. And we need to be ready. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, the type of church that Jesus will be returning for. He says in verse number 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus is going to return for a church that is holy without spot or wrinkle or blemish. So individually, we allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us as individuals, and as a church, we work together to make sure that when he returns, that we have built his bride, his church, into something holy, without compromise, holy, and without spot or blemish. It's a big assignment. We can and should experience and live out God's sanctifying work as a church body. And one of the struggles of anticipation is that it involves waiting, and waiting can make us impatient. Especially in our spiritual walk, we can be impatient when we're not seeing the results in our growth and sanctification the way that we'd like, or when we're waiting on God to answer in prayer. Corporately, we can struggle to be a holy church that reflects God's kingdom while awaiting our coming king. But when we wait and anticipate what God is doing, we don't need to be impatient. Instead, we should take the moment to breathe and to prepare. In Western society, we're all about the individual. And so it's easy for us to talk about experiencing God individually, but what about corporately? Experiencing God corporately is very important. We are the body of Christ, and when the body of Christ gathers, it's a powerful thing. So we can experience new vision for the church. God can show us how we can bring the kingdom of God to our community. We can be a place that cultivates the fruit of the Spirit where we don't just preach about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, but instead we're people who experience these virtues in real relationship. The church can be a community of people where the kingdom of God is reflected in the world. PG shared this week that he was visiting a town that was in a valley, and as he was on the top of the plateau, he was able to look into the valley and see all of these symbols of places. And so without ever being to the city, he knew what type of city that, or what type of places were in the city. He saw the golden arches, and he knew whether he wanted to eat there or not that there was food available in that place, and he knew what type of food and what to expect in there. He saw the Starbucks uh, logo lit up on a sign, and he knew that that was a place that he could stop and get coffee. The global church should be such that when people drive into a town and they see a church sign that they know what they're going to get, but we recognize that this is not the case. The global church is diverse and there are some amazing churches and there are some that are more broken than we could ever imagine. And we live in a world today that celebrates the brokenness of churches and shines spotlights on them. And so there are a number of podcasts and magazines and news reports and documentaries that abound about churches that are missing the mark. So what can be done? Remember, Jesus is coming back for a church that's without spot or wrinkle. The only way that we can achieve that is through living, working, the breathing power of the Holy Spirit's work in us. And so we allow the Holy Spirit to individually sanctify us as well as sanctify our church. We guard our hearts and personal integrity and guard the integrity of the church. We're not going to get it right in every area because we're filled with imperfect people. But as we work together at this, then the church can truly be a community of people where the kingdom of God is reflected in the world. And just as believers know that they're not saved by doing good works on their own nor sanctified by trying to make themselves holy, we must also realize that bringing God's kingdom and reflecting their king comes only by the power of God and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. 
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus encouraged us to pray like this. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 9. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This model of prayer is just as effective as for us today as it was in the day that Jesus spoke this and gave it to the disciples. Jesus begins this prayer with a recognition of whose he is. He says, our Father which art in heaven, he recognizes that he's a child of God. In this statement, he's identifying who he is, as, who he's addressing, as well as recognizing that he belongs to the Father. And as followers of Jesus, we're sons and daughters of God, we're co-heirs with Christ. And he follows up that statement with, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to keep holy and to set apart. In this petition, we ask God to let all we think, say, and do bring glory and honor to his holy name. We ask that we would live in such a way that we do not dishonor his holy name and drag it down with us into the mud of sin. And in verse number 10, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayer is to say, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this prayer is sandwiched in the midst of ethical teachings of Jesus. And we reflect the kingdom of God through, the, through living out the teachings of Jesus. We as a church will pray and anticipate God giving us vision and showing us how to be kingdom bearers in our community. The Lord's Prayer is included in the teaching of Jesus at the Sermon of the Mount. And in this sermon, Jesus teaches on forgiveness. He teaches on money and peacemaking and how to live as his disciples. According to Craig Keener, the Lord's Prayer is an adaptation of a synagogue prayer called the Kaddish. And he says, although Jesus' ministry sets the element of prayer in a new context, the future kingdom is present in a hidden way in the future king, Jesus of Nazareth. So while we might see God's kingdom expressed only briefly in prayer, the concept of the kingdom of God and living as kingdom citizens is found throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And in the first line, Jesus sets the stage of whose he is. And how important is it that each of us live in such a way that we live out this race of faith knowing whose we are? Well, I'm grateful for my earthly heritage my primary identity is not that I'm a Bartholo. That's my last name for those of you who are new here. Like it's not my primary identity. It's, it's, that identity is superseded by the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. While I'm grateful for the earthly land that I've been raised in and have been able to raise my kids in, my primary identity is not the fact that I'm an American. And so while I'm beyond grateful to be a citizen of America, this again is superseded by the fact that I'm a citizen of heaven. And Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3 verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we can get the first line of this prayer right, then everything else will fall into place. Right, if we can recognize whose we are, then everything else will fall into place. When we recognize that everything, and I mean everything, is secondary to our identity as followers of Jesus. The hallowing of God's name, the consummation of his reign, and the doing of his will are all versions of the same end time promise that everything one day will be set right. 
There'll be no more crime, no more discrimination and hatred, no more sickness and no more grief. And we eagerly anticipate that day. That day's going to come at a great cost. When he comes, that day will bring an end to those who are not doing his will. And the longer that Jesus delays his coming, the longer his mercy is extended to our unsaved friends and family members and the unreached around the world. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse number 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse number 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Every day that he delays his return is mercy. Think about this, that there have never been more followers of Jesus on the planet than what there are today. In the history of the globe, there have never been more people who are followers of Jesus than there are now. In 2011, the Pew Research Center survey uh, says that there were more than 2.2 billion Christians, 2.2 billion Christians out of a population of 7 billion people. So if the Bible is true and eternity is real, his delay is giving 5 billion people another opportunity to experience his grace and, and salvation. Because verse number nine says that he does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so if we long for God's will on earth in the future, then we must live consistently with our longing in the present, working God's righteousness and seeking his will here. And so imagine with me for a moment in light of the Lord's prayer, what does an ideal church look like? As I imagine what an ideal church looks like in light of the Lord's Prayer, I have to submit my will and my desires to him. It's not about me. It's about him. It's his bride, and we're his children. So we don't pray in this prayer, God, let my will be done, or let our collective will be done. Instead, we pray, God, let your will be done. We pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. An ideal church in view of the Lord's prayer would be one that provides, that God provides for. Where we pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. An ideal church would be one that's filled with people who have confessed their sins to God and who are forgiven. In verse number 12, he says, and forgive us our debts. Right, a church filled with people who have confessed their sin and experienced his forgiveness. An ideal church would not only be filled with forgiven people, but also filled with those who extend forgiveness. 
Because verse number 12, he didn't stop with forgive us our debts. Instead, he continues and says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. An ideal church would be one that walks in victory in regards to sin and abstains from even the appearance of evil. Verse 13 says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God's given us all we need, and the church can sometimes seem like a cloudy mirror that doesn't reflect the true image that Christ intended. But maybe, just maybe, we could get some Holy Spirit Windex to clean it in order to better reflect God's community in the world, to better reflect and to beautify his church. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. We ought to be people who live lives of holiness and godliness. And in verse 14, to be diligent, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We're the people of the kingdom and that has given us some responsibilities towards the mission of God in the world. N.T. Wright proclaims that God builds God's kingdom But God ordered his world in such a way that his own work with that world takes place not least through one of his creatures in particular, namely the human being being made in God's image. God intends his wise, creative, loving presence and power to be reflected, imaged, if you like, into his world through his human creatures. Creatures. Creation creatures. Anyway, I don't even know how I said that first word, Uh, but it was a mixture of those two. So the church can anticipate experiencing growth and change through the power of God's spirit. And through that power of God, we can become the people of God that a fallen and broken world desperately need. Now more than ever, God's looking for a church that would take his word serious. that would lament over sin, to grieve and to mourn over the cost of sin in our lives and in the lives of others, to repent of sin in our lives and to anticipate the work that he's gonna do in us individually and to anticipate the work that he's gonna do in the church as we anticipate his return. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. And this morning you say, today I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to ask him to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give all of my life to him. I want to be all in with him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you, God. Let's all stand. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And 
If you raised your hand in person or online today and you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time or see your relationship restored back to him, I'm gonna lead us in a prayer and I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer today, we want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made and the journey that God's going to take you on. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. Text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I'm going to pray over us here in just a moment. And as I do, the prayer team is going to make their way to each of the sides here of the stage. And we leave time at the end of each of our services that if you've come here today with any need and you just want somebody to pray for you, I would encourage you when the worship team begins to sing this, this next song, that you would step out of your seats, that you would come forward and that you'd let somebody pray for you this morning. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have delayed your coming another day. That as we think about the lost in our community, as we think about the unreached around the world, and we think about their eternal destination, Jesus, we're grateful that your return has been delayed, that there's been another moment and another day for people to respond. God, I pray for those in the room this morning who still haven't responded to becoming followers of you and experiencing the new life that comes from you, that you would give them the courage to make that decision, that they wouldn't delay they're coming to you any longer, but instead today would be the day of salvation. God, we pray that we would be people who wouldn't forget to lament and to repent and to anticipate the work of the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. So God, last week we prayed that you would stir it up, and this week we pray again that you would stir up the Holy Spirit in our lives that you would remove all of the things that don't reflect your glory to where all that's left is a clear reflection of the image that we were created to bear, which is the image of you. God, in the same way that we can look at a number of kids in this church and know who their parents are, I pray that the reflection of you would be so great in our lives that people would recognize whose we are that we're followers of you. And so God, I pray that you would help us to live out this message and be an ideal church, a, a church that would recognize whose we are. We are yours and we are the bride of Christ. And God, we ask that you would sanctify us individually as well as corporately as a church. That as we anticipate and eagerly await your return, that individually and collectively we would be a church that would be without spot or blemish, that we would be ready for your return. So God, help us today as we leave from here. 
to live victorious lives and to reflect your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.